right, welcome back, Ranch Nation. Hanging out with you from the East Valley Institute of Technology. Uh, as I tell you week every week, man, always an honor uh, to spend it with you guys. Uh, I remind you to get on to RanchNation.tv. You know, the show is about taking you guys on a journey where we highlight some of the great, amazing people. Uh, and you know what? Some of the stories can be shocking, but more importantly, it's an opportunity for you guys to actually... Get inspired, because that's what it's about, inspiration. Uh, Mr. Greg Ovist with GeezUp.com, our show contributors in studio. Welcome, Greg. Hey, thanks. Good seeing you again. Well, we just saw each other. We were out at the uh, Fountain Valley Car Show, which was incredible. Man, that show was amazing. I've been to a lot of shows through the years, and I'll definitely be back at that one. It was just, it was just a great, great experience to meet, meet everybody, cool cars. Can't go wrong. That show was just the best. And mind you, that was uh, about a week into California's recent announcement. We are setting you free. We right? are officially post-COVID. Yeah. Do your thing. Everyone, it was like just like a reunion. It wasn't just a car show. People it actually was. parked their cars and get out to go visit. So yeah. it was a great It was a good time. Big shout out to Ken Vela, yep. uh, Pete Hack, uh, Fireball Tim. And, you know, I, I, I tell you guys all the time in, in, in the community, whether it's, gosh, you know, you got 30 cars at a Cars and Coffee or you have a 500-car event or, hey, like our friend uh, Pete up in Fountain Hills with the uh, concourse. Of course, he missed last year's, and that's a 1,000-plus event with the Amphicar and the whole suite of Cobra GTs. And, yep. um, you know, it's time. It's time to get back together, and I think a lot of us are anxious for that. And one thing I will say is just calm down, people. I will tell you that drive in from California, and how many will you agree, you guys tuning in, um, we were out there with the RV, 119 degrees. <laughs> wow. My wife's like, you need to pull over and fix the RV AC. I'm like, no, it ain't going to be fixable. We're going to keep going. <laughs> and Not keep serviceable. Going. Because you guys got to understand, I got to speak to this uh, under hood of your vehicle. I think we can throw this out as a tip. A lot of you may experience, well, hey, my AC is working fine in the morning. And during the heat of the day, especially when it's one teens here in the desert. Right. The thing just shuts down. Now, that could be attributed to a few different technical things happening. But understand, the system has a high side pressure switch. And if the high side pressure from excessive temperature starts to peak, well, to keep the system from blowing up, it's going to quietly shut down. And it's going to basically right. save itself. You know, it's a relief valve. Yeah. Just like on a propane bottle. <laughs> I don't oh. know. You want to talk about that? Well, I heard I heard there was a fire over the weekend. I got back and uh, Sunday, Father's Day. Uh, that was a 22-hour day, by the way, that Saturday when we did the show. But I promised my kids I'm going to be back Sunday for Father's Day. Now, granted, I got back in at 4 in the morning, didn't wake up till 1. But we did have a fire in the house. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you. I, in fact, let me get to the show topic and the guests. We are taking you guys back in time. To about the mid to late 1700s, all the way fast forward to today, regarding all things firefighting. We're talking apparatus, the vehicles, the gear, the equipment, and who better than the world-renowned Hall of Flame Museum of Firefighting. These folks are in our backyard, right by Phoenix Zoo, people. Go visit with them. Hall of Flame, largest firefighting museum in an order to have Chuck Montgomery. And uh, we've also got Mark Moorhead, who's the curator. 
Now go figure, this show's been planned for several weeks. Easy. Maybe a month. And the week of the firefighting show, Frank's house is catches on fire. (laughs) Now I live in an old brick home, Greg. And for you. Thankfully, the brick did its job. Right? But we've got to ask Mr. Chuck Montgomery, who's a retired firefighter. Um, we got to ask him some tips because apparently when you mentioned propane bottle, I don't know how, but something ignited. My wife was in the house and I was out getting steaks for the grill. Father's Day with my daughter. Oh, so you weren't barbecuing? No. Okay, just checking. Stuff just blew up. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. That ever happened in your life where stuff just, you have no explanation, Greg? Yeah, stuff just happens, especially when it's hot or cold. Just things go sideways. Just like coming back from California this week. Brand new truck. 117 degrees. Check engine light goes on for no reason. All Mysteriously. The way just and then it goes away. Goes I, away. Can't figure it out. How do you feel about that listening? Your lights go on and you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, what are you going to do? But then you've got your spouse, your mom, whoever, maybe the old crazy uncle or that long lost cousin who expects you to pull over. <laughs> Forget about and even being it. a seasoned technician. Like, you're a mechanic. You should be able to fix this. Uh, no, I'm not. Nope. <laughs> we'll deal with it. But anyway, the RV was perfectly fine. The AC worked well. Oh, it did its job. It actually shut down. Did it have like a safe mode or something Well, like that? I, it, the pressures exceed a certain level, Got and it. it's just not going to work. Got it. Now, granted, there are other things that can cause that symptom, but I'm now trying to cool my wife down. So I'll pull over, get some <laughs> ice cubes, and we actually took a picture of her. Uh, ice cubes on the chest, and she had the little towel. I said, honey, all we can, we got a cooler with ice. Be grateful. You got a bathroom back there while we're driving. You need to use the bathroom? Right, there you right. go. Let's be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Ovest, uh, representing G's Up, uh, doing an awesome job uh, brokering and representing clients on the uh, sort of the purchase side and the buy side. Uh, what kind of news do you have for us in the collective market this week? What's going on? Well, what I have going on right now is I know the past couple of weeks I've talked about the 50 Chevys, the 60 Chevys, you know, six figures at auction, what to look out for when buying them. But I was thinking, you know, there's also guys out there that don't have a hundred grand to spend on a car. They don't have 20 or 30 and that's okay, but they want to be part of that car industry and that car show scene so bad and they kind of feel left out. So for some of these guys out there that want to get into the car show scene and don't have a ton of money, don't feel left out. There's great cars out there at affordable prices. And uh, I think we scared a few people because you had mentioned, well, that car that was going 100K yeah. two years ago is now 200. Yeah. But absolutely, the auctions are still a great place yeah. to go on a hunt. Absolutely. And, and, and certainly if you're looking at a low five-figure uh, vehicle that really could be turnkey, Absolutely. It may not be concourse level, but that's okay. Absolutely. Some of these cars right now, actually, I know the 70s Corvettes, like 74 to 79 Corvette, those are very affordable cars right now. Seven, $8,000, go buy some rally wheels, get some trim on eBay. You got a nice car to go to a show on the weekend, have fun. Let me ask you, this and may be a silly question. Some would think, um, certainly maybe not in the summer, definitely not in our desert heat. Not a lot of people are hanging out with their convertibles in 118. Right. But should one look at purchasing a convertible in the summer if they plan? Is that is now, or does that not even matter? Or, or, no? No. I mean, convertible, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. If someone wants a convertible, they're going to buy it no matter what time of year. If gotcha. it's the price is right and it's the right car. Gotcha. That makes sense. Well, speaking of right price, right car. And, well, let's face it, COVID. That's behind us, hopefully, forever and ever and ever. That madness COVID beast. <laughs> Moscow will give away free cars to people who get... The COVID vaccine. How's that? Now, over here, we're like, you should. 
get your vaccine. However, none of our government officials are trying to bribe us. But if you were able to get a car, five cars worth 13900 each would be given away every week in a prize draw. That's different. So they're not giving every person. That's a good incentive right there. Now, the question is, are these Muscovite manufactured or what kind of cars are these? Let's take a look. <laughs> uh, by the way, the Russian capital did report 7,700 new infections on Sunday. Wow. Well, wait a minute. This must be a day. Well, be careful. This was June 13th. I want to be, I want to respect, be respectful of the timeline. But the fact is, Moscow's playing away a lottery. Get your COVID shot. Have a chance at a car. Bree, would you do that? Bree in studio. I already got my shot. I feel like I missed out. Oh, you're out. Man, a bunch of Muscovites. Well, the backup prize is a bottle of vodka. But you know what's crazy out there? I did hear a news story somewhere where McDonald's is trying to give away a free burger if you get your COVID shot. So, I mean, you want a car? You want a chance at a burger? Yeah. Some people get heated up when you say COVID shot. I'm not getting it. I saw this thing. My right. daughter, who's 12, on Tickety Talk, she said, Dad, there's like magnets. I guess magnets stick to your skin after the shot like you know mag like you've been injected with metals wow. i think it's a bunch of farce oh lord has to be absolutely yeah, has that's to be. that's not true all you can do is go to the cdc's website look at the independent research that was put together there and make your best educated decision don't trust anything that's out there on the internet that you can't verify yourself for three different sources if you're really scared Ask a librarian because they know how to do research and have a master's degree in research. Anybody that can navigate the Dewey Decimal System is my friend. Right. That's it. Well, Mayor Sergei Sobonian out of Moscow said that anyone over 18 who receives the first of a two-dose COVID-19 vaccine from June 14th to July 11th, almost running a whole month period, would now be automatically entered into a drawing. Five cars worth a million rubles. 13900 each Got it. would be given away every week. So they're giving away a car. Now, we still didn't answer the question. Does what this, kind of car is what this? What kind of car? Right. I know. I'm looking at the article, and you guys, please. Uh, it's some four-door station wagon. <laughs> I, I'll pass. Well, it's a four-door. It almost looks like a little Toyota Corolla of some sort of some sort. I don't know. Russia is, I would think, more in bed with China than they are the U.S. I could be wrong. However, it's hard to say. This looks like a four-door Toyota Corolla or a little Kia. Mm. Either way, some people would like that. Yeah, it's a good car for somebody, yeah. Yeah, you better not try to game and cheat that system. Nope. Because uh, you know how that works with uh, maybe some voting issues. <laughs> I don't know. I'll just let that one go. We'll let it go. Uh, I do want to remind you guys, uh, as we get ready to wrap it up here for the break and bring on our very special guest from the Hall of Flame Museum of Firefighting, I want to mention this. A lot of you are doing your own breaks, all right? And I'm not going to go into what specific vehicles, but I do want to caution you about that emergency brake that is hiding rear brake rotor, top hat style, not a drum shoe, but that e-brake shoe lives behind what you see as a brake rotor. A lot of you are doing the rear brakes with a rotor disc set up and you're probably, you shouldn't be doing it, but you're pad slapping. You can't do that. You got to completely pull the caliper off, pull the brake rotor off. In fact, make sure you mic the rotor. All rotors should be resurfaced or thrown away if they're too thin, or if you got a vibration pulsation, you sometimes can't cut that out. And guess what lives behind there? There's that little quiet e-brake shoe. Uh, we've seen a few of these come in the garage. 
where elsewhere has just sort of done a quick break job. And then within a few weeks, there's a squeak. Cause it can't be, I just got right. breaks and, or a clunking noise. And it's coming from that e-brake shoe setup that's sitting behind that brake rotor. So just make sure, do what it takes to do it right. If you've got any questions, Desert Car Care, Chandler or Dobson, or visit wrenchnation.tv. We've got garages all over the country, community-minded rock stars. I want you guys to stay tuned. We're going to come back. We're going to journey back in time. How about we go deep in respect and tribute to some of the greatest history of firefighters? women and men on the front lines, especially now with the forest fire season in the state of Arizona, we have more fires than any other state in our union. And that's, that's an interesting fact. Wow. Got to give them tribute, but we're honored to have world's largest firefighter museum, hall of flame, Chuck Montgomery and the curator, the talented Mark Moorhead. They're going to join us. Stay tuned. Ranch nation. Of course you want your mileage back. And all the extra money you've spent feeding an engine gunked up with carbon. Your car needs its fuel system cleaned, and it needs it now. You need BG44K. It's the one dealerships use the most. In fact, they use BG44K almost 3 to 1 over any other fuel system cleaner made. To find a shop near you, go to BGFindAShop.com. That's BGFindAShop.com. I got my mileage back. bg Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time. The quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients, and they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counter folks, a complete line of original equipment, parts that our customers deserve. If you're an installer, Get on to partsauthority.com. Check locations nationally near you, partsauthority.com. Support for Wrench Nation Car Talk, the smart choice for auto parts, Pronto National Association. Pronto is committed to the independent automotive aftermarket and demonstrates leadership within the automotive industry. Pronto Association is made up of nearly 100 member auto part distributors. Visit pronto-net.com. Automotive technical training, parts lineup, and representation of the automotive member community. Pronto-net.com. Vision collision. God forbid you get into an accident or you get a little bumper fender bender slight or even if you've got that shopping cart that ends up scratching the side of your newer ride my friends at vision collision they're certified they deal with insurance companies but also what i really like is they were able to deal with my situation i didn't want to exercise my insurance and i paid out of pocket and they gave me a very fair price with quality work so for any complete auto body paint and repair you want that small business the heart of business that treats you one-on-one vision collision 480-248-9049 visioncollision.com when you're thinking about body shop or collision work paint repair dent repairs collision wheel restoration vision collision is the way to go tell them frank at wrench nation sent you 480-248-9049 480-248-9049 vision collision Right 
on. Welcome back. WrenchNation.tv. Get on over there. We've had a ton of great guests. Magnus Walker, uh, an incredible interview. You guys can catch all of those shows on the website or podcast. And I do remind you, uh, Saturday we replay KFNX uh, 1100, 88.7 and 90.7, the neon. You guys can catch that show. WrenchWay.com, fighting the technician shortage. We all know shop owners, mechanics, technicians, you guys are in the trenches every day. And whether you're the technician that says, hey, I can't find a good place to work, or you're the shop owner scratching your head, pulling your hair, I cannot find good help. WrenchWay.com. There's information there. Now, how do they help? WrenchWay focuses on three main areas that are critical. They highlight the top shops. If you are a technician, you certainly want to look at a top shop. And it's uh, making it easier for technicians to find these great shops. They're also doing so much by way of getting more future techs interested in the industry. Visit information at wrenchway.com. Now, I got to tell you that Hall of Flame is in the Phoenix area. Greg, you've been there four times. Oh, more than that. It's More a than great that place. I've been there probably twice a year for the past five, six years. It's almost like SEMA. You can't, you, you, can't, you almost need a whole week to visit. Yeah, you have to go there multiple times just to get a touch of it. And the word is they get more out-of-town guests that know. In fact, folks from all over the world that know and visit, while people in Phoenix right here don't know about the Hall of Flame Museum, uh, the National Historical Fire Foundation, better known as the Hall of Flame Museum of Firefighting, is a museum dedicated to the historical preservation of firefighting equipment used through the years around the world. And we are honored. Uh, we'll bring Mr. Chuck Montgomery is holding, and of course we'll bring Mark in. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Frank. I enjoy uh, spending the afternoon with you, especially on a beautiful day like today. Boy, did we need a little Absolutely. overcast and rain, hopefully to help our firefighters, from <laughs> no doubt out there. Uh, is this correct, uh, uh, Chuck, before we dive into the museum? Is the state of Arizona... Right now, do we have the most fires in the country? That's what I understand, yes. that we're uh, Unfortunately, we have a couple in northern Arizona that are really putting our firefighters to work. So I, uh, you know, obviously our thoughts with those guys, and they're working hard. And up until today, the conditions were horrific, as you know, with that heat wave last week. And uh, I can, all I can say is if you're out there driving around, be careful. Get, make sure you have no loose chains. Don't be discarding cigarettes or any other smoking material out the windows. And uh, just be thinking that uh, there, nothing is without consequences, right? You, you, you uh, walk away from a campfire you haven't put out entirely, and there's consequences. So um, let's keep that in mind. But uh, first I want to shout out, i got to say, the, one of the biggest things on fire, and you know and I know, the Phoenix Suns, are you? Yeah! <laughs> Couldn't go far without that all one. All right, for all of our last Los Angeles and Miami, and we got people from all over the country that listen, let us have our due here in the desert. Yes, yes. big shout-out to the that's Phoenix a, Suns. That, yep. That's a fire that no fireman in this valley would put out even if they had a chance, right? <laughs> they are on fire. Oh, hey, listen, you, you are a former firefighter. Tell us before we dive into the amazing museum uh, artifacts and some of the things going on there. Um, tell us what department did you work for and give us some experiences, maybe, uh, some of the challenges as a firefighter that you had, uh, during that time. Well, I had a, um, incredibly interesting career. I was, uh, uh, I was raised to be a carpenter. I was, uh, I worked with my dad when I was young and built homes in the West Valley and 
Villa de Paz and uh, Litchfield Park and all that sort of thing. But when I had my first uh, opportunity to uh, start being exposed to the uh, fire department, I was very much uh, like your EVIT kids. I was still in my later years of high school and uh, and luckily joined a great program called the Phoenix Fire Cadets. So that's 45 years ago I got into uh, that program. Wow. And uh, that kind of allowed me to work at the fire stations and mow the yard and do the you know, some of the, the menial labor around the firehouses with the big reward of getting to go on a call if one came in. Um, of course, uh, later on, um, when I became uh, old enough, I uh, went to work for a small town in the West Valley called Tolleson Fire Department, and I was uh, one of their first paid firemen. And they were a volunteer department primarily, but they, you know, with, with people's work schedules and things they needed somebody to get the trucks there and get the fire started before the volunteers arrived and so they hired me to do that i worked on a one-man fire truck by myself and uh, it was quite challenging and quite an eye-opener for a young guy and uh went on a lot of really really bad accidents and fires out there in that those days because uh interstate 10 didn't connect into phoenix yet so every everyone coming in or going out from california had to go down to buckeye road and uh uh-huh. and venture in that way and of course um with all those intersections, 107th and 99th, and all those avenues that tied into Buckeye, there was a lot of intersections, and it uh, really was, uh, uh, I can only tell you, a, a, a crazy, wild adventure for a young man. I can imagine, I mean, not having a, uh, Greg Ovis in studio, not having a formality to sort of a, an interstate, I, I didn't realize that, about, I've been here 30 years, but... Uh, Chuck, you're saying that would bottleneck and all kinds of stuff, different driving behaviors. Well, and uh, also folk, really yeah. high speeds back in those days. You know, the cars were totally different. This is uh, this is like 1980, 81, and you know the cars were, as, as you know, completely different, heavier, and you know no airbags, and and they would get in just some horrific head-ons and other collisions down on Buckeye Road. Now later on, uh, this uh, this was. Basically, the I-10 came in and then stopped at Dysart, and then you had to go either north Indian School or south down to Buckeye Road and to venture on into Phoenix, or take McDowell or one of those other uh, artery streets. But they, you know, after driving all night from L.A. and coming in, then you know people were kind of accustomed at 80, 90 miles an hour, and then they would get off on these artery roads, and like I say, the and the other streets came into it parallel. And it was uh, it was a pretty it was a pretty deadly stretch of highway. Uh, yeah, I can imagine uh, most stations one one are alert uh, as it is would be today. You know, different scenarios and stuff. But still, the idea of sort of these unsafe situations. And sure. and I gotta say, Chuck, because I think as a populace, Greg in studio, we take we we take for granted. When I approach, and I gotta share that story. You probably heard that uh, while you guys were holding. I had eight fire trucks. I was coming back from Safeway. My house was on fire within two minutes of the phone calls. Of course, the whole neighborhood was calling. What a professional, quick, bam, in, take care of it. And then mainly, Chuck, what I'm saying is the follow-up. I got to say, a little bit of the customer service. Yeah, it's respectful. Are you, are you guys okay? Like, I think that's huge. Um, some of us are just frantic, We, you know, but... For, for the actual true blue caring of the process. Um, so my hat's out to all firefighters, women, men out there all across the country. And uh, it is ironic, Chuck, that, Frank, uh, uh, we're having the show on uh, the uh, museum and my house caught on Fire Father's Day. <laughs> well, let me tell you about that a little bit. because I um, Were you there? 
Yeah, I mean, Chuck, were you no, there? I wasn't no. there, but I, <laughs> I, I can tell you the scenario because I've been on it uh, a, a number of times in the past. Um, later on, after I left Hollis and I went to work for the city of Glendale, and then I spent uh, the rest of my entire career out on in the West Valley there and uh, serving this, all of the firehouses at Glendale. And shout out to those guys. It's a great fire department. We're one of the busiest, of course, in the in, in the state. And uh, we... Um, you know, there are trucks out there run pretty much nonstop. And I will tell you, I don't, where do you live, Frank? What part of town? Central Phoenix. You know, my home is 1947. It's a brick home, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So what, what happens oftentimes is, it, I think I heard some mention of a propane bottle, but the when the heat is uh, on us like it is right now, if your propane bottles, you know, are relatively full, then they have a, um, they have a pressure relief valve on them, right? So that pressure relief valve allows that, pressure to come out of the tank or that excess gas as opposed to causing uh, you know some sort of a catastrophic explosion so it's so it starts vent as the tank heats up so if it's sitting in the shade and it's uh, you know 80 degrees or you know where it's normally stored but then all of a sudden now it's 116 degrees and it's setting in the sun well that that expanding vapor's got to go somewhere so it goes out that pressure relief valve and then it ends up um, just looking for a source. So if you, you know if a source is around there, then it's going to find that source and ignite. And it sounds like that might have been what happened. I think so. Case. Yeah, yeah. So, so normally, that's it, normally. I'm just saying normally, it's not a huge issue if, unless it's close to your house. You know, sometimes it'll just flash and go out. Sometimes it actually impinges and then goes through the hose. And if the if the tank's been left on, then of course, then you have bigger issues that are about to happen. And I've had that happen when people are using their grill or they've had them in storage. So um, I would say just pay attention that your, your grill that your grill bottle is not setting directly in the sun or getting overheated. And if so, make sure your bottle's not um, overcharged. And, and I heard you say, which was critical, shut the valve on the propane tank off. every time, turn it yeah, off. Every time. Yeah. And, and that's just, you know, because you're, now you're taking away from that constant feed. If if something causes um, that hose to disintegrate or, you know, I mean, rubber on just like our cars rots during the summer and, and under a grill where grease is dripping on it and stuff, it's not uncommon to, to, uh, to get um, uh, disintegrated. And so if it, if it ends up being the source, then it can be a big problem. Now, if it just burns out of the valve, that's pretty, that's standard, right? All we can do is just let it, let it burn through the valve shut it off if it's on but if it's on and the valves malfunction then we just have to kind of let the let the tank continue to vent but um if you if the tank if the flame itself impinges on the tank itself then now you have a problem with what's called a blevy that's a boiling liquid explosion and that's, well, that's when the not, tank kind of turns to shrapnel that's, that's, a, that's a whole bigger problem and of course our state's famous because back in 73 we had a railroad tanker blevy and it became, you know, national news and, of course, uh, unfortunately killed most of the entire Kingman Fire Department at that time. Wow. So. I, I got to add to that. One of the things that we that I did that I didn't even think of, I had my chlorine tablets for the pool mm -hmm. next to propane bottles. And shame on me. Yeah. Um, I thought, okay, it's in the shade, it's under the table. But because of that, we, we had this ignition, we had this fire. Hazmat was called in because those chlorine tablets ended up, there's chlorine in the air. And they, you know, so 
great points you make, and I, I think a lot of you listening, I know we're a car show, but, hey, we want to be safe. Yeah. Um, and I, I think those are good points, especially uh, in the Southwest and, hey, no matter where you're at in you know, during the, during barbecue season, for sure. When every so often there's vehicles out there, as you know, um, during the kind of the escalation of alternative fuels that, that people uh, did propane conversions on their vehicles. So that's something that has to be, you know, you have to pay attention to as well when they, you know, car fires are not uncommon. And if you have a propane-powered uh, vehicle, then, you know, extra precautions, warning to the firefighters has to be made. I mean, it's... That's yeah, a big part of the calls that we go on each year. Very good information, Chuck. Thank you so much. I do want to put you on hold and, and bring in Mark, Mark Moorhead. Please welcome. Welcome to the show, Mark. Are you there? Hi, Frank. How are you? Good. I wanted to give you some time here. In fact, Chuck gave us some great information. Oh, yeah. It is absolutely timely regarding, you know, our current state of affairs with temperatures and the, the forest fires that we have going on. And, and you know, we're speaking to the whole country. Uh, there are vast swaths of land out there that can easily ignite. But I wanted to pick your brain as the curator of what would be the quiet secret, Mark, uh, that Hall of Flame Museum. Tell yeah, us how that started. Of ourselves as one of the two little-known gems here in the Valley, uh, and in Arizona generally. Uh, we're a, I, I had a guy in here who told me that uh, he was just so taken with the museum, and he said, you know, if you come to Arizona, you should go see the Grand Canyon, that should be first, and then you should come to us, the Hall of Flame. And I was, of course, to his face, I said, well, you put the Grand Canyon ahead of us. You know? <laughs> but uh, but I was really delighted by that. And, you know, it's a it's a world-class collection, and, you know, we we have a kind of a fun ethos here, and we, you know, our, our name is a pun, and uh, but we do really try to be a serious historical museum but at the same time we and we're also a somber memorial place for a lot of firefighters who've sacrificed uh but we uh also try to have a lot of fun here and be a fun place to go both for grown-ups and kids yeah speaking of tribute uh the fire truck from uh september 11th a tragic day in new york city of course that is on display at this point tell us about uh that truck and, and give us a little well, history. We have Rescue Four, which was one of the uh, four the rescue de- departments, the rescue stations from uh, New York City, from the uh, FDNY, are really the elite of that department. And there's one for each borough, and they all responded, of course, to 9/11. And and when you find if you get on one of those big old trucks of theirs, you don't find pumps, hoses, ladders, things like that. You find stuff like jackhammers and hearse tools and heavy equipment like that because they are for exactly for a situation like 9-11, a building collapse, a bridge collapse, a you know maybe an airplane crashing in Midtown, that kind of thing. That was That's what they're meant to do, and those guys are the the cream of the crop of the uh, of the FDNY, just ask them. And they uh, are very competitive with each other as well as with other firefighters. And the one that we have, Rescue 4, which was from Queens, the whole crew was lost. Uh, the uh, Right next to it was Rescue 3 from Harlem in the Bronx, and that whole crew was also lost. And that truck was very – both trucks were very badly damaged. Uh, we have the door hanging on the wall from Rescue 3, uh, but we have the whole truck, which has been largely restored um, by uh, m- both by both initially by some restorers and later by uh, some restorers here, and it's quite 
beautiful to look at. It's it doesn't really look like it would have looked going down the street in L.A. or in uh, New York anymore. It, it's become a memorial piece, so we have the names of the crew listed on it and so forth. And it was, it was particularly tragic in the case of Rescue Four because it was two crews that were lost. There was an outgoing shift and an oncoming shift right about the time that call came in, and both since they could see it was a very big call, both crews went and they were all they were all lost. It's uh, it's heartbreaking, but I always try to tell the tour groups that that uh, there's that was a terrible day and there's no way to make it a good day. But having said that, it's it was a smashingly successful rescue operation. I mean, it's never really successful if it, you, even one life is lost. But most of the people who had any chance of getting out, not all of them, but most of them did get out. The peop, most of the people who were lost were above the impacts and they simply had no chance. And uh, there were the people from below, the lower floors tens of thousands of them got out and that was that was in part because of the first responders it was also due to a lot of civilians a lot of ordinary citizens showed great courage and resourcefulness that day and risked their lives and in a couple of cases lost their lives helping their fellow citizens get out of that building yeah it was tragic but i i, I think what you're doing is you're paying homage to the spirit uh and i think it's important for future generations I want to keep you both gentlemen on. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to go into some of the great museum artifacts, and we also like to talk about uh, the Getz family, uh, who really started this whole love affair and collection. I want you guys to stay tuned, Ranch Nation. Whether you're looking for a full-service direct mail or you just simply want a few marketing materials printed for use in your store, Mail Shark has got you covered. With over 10 years of client service success with direct mail postcards, restaurant box toppers, magnets, and so much more, Mail Shark is there to help your marketing team acquire the clients you deserve. Pay weekly, pay as you go. There is no pressure, no contracts, direct mail. For more details, visit themailshark.com. Funding for Wrench Nation Car Talk brought to you by Anytime Auto Glass, a family-owned, full-service windshield replacement and repair company with a focus on hard work, integrity, and providing a no-hassle professional service for their windshield and vehicle tint clients. Anytime AutoglassAZ.com or call 480-430-4597. Anytime Autoglass. Bolt-On Technologies Automotive Software Solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-On Technology software provide customer vehicle condition reports including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Uh, Greg Ovist and uh, Frank Lloyd's hanging out with you in studio. Big shout-out to Susie Sockett. She had to oh, kind of hang her. back at the garage. We She'll do her. that periodically. We're very busy there. Uh, so we miss you, Susie. Get on to wrenchnation.tv. We are talking about one of the quiet jewels right here in Phoenix, Arizona. No matter where you're at in the country, uh, it is well worth it. Halloflame.org. Visit. Uh, take your family. Take your group of students. Take, hey, have a nice little corporate uh, shindig. You know, you're celebrating some great things uh, post-COVID with your company. Uh, you can head on over there. And we're honored to have Chuck Montgomery and, of course, Mark Moorhead, who's the curator. I'd like to bring Mark back on. Mark, welcome back. We, we, definitely, we definitely got to uh, go back in time. Um, 
Uh, well, going back to 1961, originally out of Wisconsin, tell us about uh, what started as the, well, which is the private collection of George Getz Jr. Tell us about the history. Well, this museum started, uh, it's a very popular theme for a museum. There are at least 200 firefighting museums in the United States, many in other countries. We're, as far as we know at least, the biggest in the world. Um, but it started in uh, with the Getz family, uh, which are which are a family that are very uh, involved in in commercial real estate and so forth, um, and it began in 1955 actually when George Getz Jr., who was you know, kind of a classic Midwestern rich guy, he had his hands in a lot of commercial real estate, and he was part owner of the Chicago Cubs and one of the founders of the Grant Park Zoo and many other things like that. But he was driving through Wilmette, Illinois, with his wife, Olive, and their son, uh, Bert, and they, out in front of a a car dealership somewhere, they spotted an old fire truck, an old 1924 American LaFrance, which had been in service in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And he just casually said something like, ah, it'd be fun to have one of those. And so uh, they... The wife, Olive, sent her son back to arrange to buy it, and they somehow kept it a secret from him, and they gave it to him for Christmas in uh, 1955, essentially as a gag gift, but she didn't know what she started. He absolutely loved it. He gave his kids and neighborhood kids rides around Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and the thing, and but he also got you know, really interested, the kind word would be really interested in fire trucks and the history of fire safety. And he started to collect more and more of these vehicles, and not just the vehicles, the other memorabilia as well. And in a pretty short time, it was 1961, they were able to open a small museum, and some crony of his said, ah, you should call it the Hall of Flame, and he took that. So as I said, we're the only museum I know of that has a pun for a name. Uh, But they opened that up in 1961 in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and it was there for a number of years, and then the family moved out here uh, to Arizona, and they brought the business with them, and they also brought the collection with them. And we've been in this location since 1973, and in that time, since that time, we've gradually grown into the biggest of our kind in the world. But we still have that original uh, 1924 American LaFrance from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, proudly displayed. It's a wonderful truck because and we have some very rare trucks here in the museum. But we all that's a really common truck. That's the kind of truck you would have seen all over America and many other parts of the world as well in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, into the 1950s. Give us a sense, uh, with uh, such a wide variety of exhibits, uh, including what you just discussed, the fire apparatus, the artwork, uniforms, equipment. Everything. Fireworks as an alarm room equipment yes. uh, deal. That's of great interest in local history here in Phoenix. Phoenix uh, has always had a, a real innovative kind of state-of-the-art attitude toward its firefighting history. And one great example of that is our alarm room, which served from the 1950s to the 1980s. And it has a big map. It's very impressive to see. It's a big map of Phoenix as it was then. It would be bigger now. And all these kind of festive Christmassy-looking red and green lights. The green light, the lights, all of them indicated fire stations. And the green lights meant the trucks were in the station. The red lights meant the truck were out. You'd use an IBM punch card system to uh, locate your emergency, and then you'd calculate what the nearest station was on that map. Sounds kind of primitive and laborious now, but it was absolutely state-of-the-art. People came from all over the world to check out this uh, technology and take it back to their hometowns.
Well, hey, Mark, I got to say, every time I've been in the museum, it's such a great place to be. Like, it just has amazing stuff. But I remember walking in to the museum, and right to the left, there was one. It's like a 1700s. It's an old That's apparatus. our oldest big piece. This is Greg, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Tell me we, about it. We have that. That is, we're exceptionally proud of that. That's the earliest large piece that we have. It's from 1725. I always tell the little kids it's from about seven years before George Washington was born. Wow. And uh, right across the aisle from it is a big American piece from 1844 that's my favorite piece in the museum. It's a double-decker, Philadelphia-style Jeffers pumper from Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, well, that was where it was in service. And it's a, just in addition to being a uh, you know a really effective hand pumper, giving about 250 gallons of water a minute, which was fantastic for that time, it was also just a work of art, just this beautiful, elegant work of, of 19th century art. And a number of them are, especially the American ones. The stuff, we have stuff from England, uh, France, Japan, but... And they're handsome, nice-looking, well-made pieces, but the pieces from America tend to be very kind of theatrical and flamboyant, and it's a part of that American competitive thing of, like, somehow showing up the guys in the next town over or the station right. down the street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'd like to bring Chuck in. We, we've got to talk about uh, technology. We all know it's blazing away. Uh, God, we got Bluetooth blenders. Uh, uh, the F-150's got 100 million lines of code. We talk about that all the time. But, Chuck, as this technology blazes away, including the science of firefighting, what intrigues and fascinates you most about how fires were tackled way back in the early days of, well, let's go back to horse and buggy. What was the biggest difference uh, between yesterday and today? Well, I have to say there's a couple of uh, a couple of important points there to make, and I think the what's interesting to me and uh, and certainly proves itself out here at the museum is the concepts behind the hand pumper were in in a very simplistic way uh, using the science that you use in your swimming pool when you use your super soaker, right? So it was a basically a piston pump and positive displacement so it, it basically you know just like you get incredible reach when you shoot that super soaker at your kids across the, from the on the pool these guys were getting enormous distance and pressures from these pumps as they uh as they hand pumped these operations and sometimes the the pumper from 1844 that mark was talking about had 50 guys pumping on that so think about uh, you know, super wow. soaker times 50 guys pumping, and it could pump a tremendous amount of water up to 250 gallons a minute. But um, so here's the interesting part: is is as the uh, as engines were added to these first steam, and then later gasoline, and then later diesel. When these when these engines started to become motorized, they actually were too powerful. They were, you know, you hear uh, old. Uh, sayings about, you know, firemen were killed on the end of a fire hose spraying and, and buildings were knocked down when the hose stream hit them. Well, they're not joking. These, these pumps were so over-engineered because they kept the same technology but added, a new, added new forces behind them. And, uh, you know, later on in the fire trucks today that drive around our city as we're speaking couldn't pump nearly the capacity and pressures of these pumpers of the past. And I think that fascinates most firemen when they come in because now the technology is all centrifugal pumps, as, as most pumps are. Almost every pump we deal with, from water pumps in our cars to everything else, is just a, 
you know, it's the it's the idea of the centrifugal force of of water, and uh, as, as we know, that's fairly safe by comparison. But uh, you have to really hand it to these um, these designers back in the day to realize that it was time to throttle back and and make a hose stream or a, a hose pump a little bit safer because not only were they uh, a little more difficult to design, but they also um, you know, they were giving away something that they thought that they had mastered, which was this tremendous power in yeah. the pumps. Yeah. Um, as far as technology, like like modern day uh, technology that seems to be changing our world quite a bit, I, I would say probably thermal imaging is is certainly what we what we hear about a lot with you know every fire truck in this valley and uh, really many of them throughout the United States. Not every fire truck, but many of them have what are called tick cameras, thermal imaging cameras. And uh, that thermal imager, then when you go into a structure that's filled with smoke, you can somewhat see through the smoke and, and locate um, people in distress and bodies and things like that just from the heat uh, thermal imprint that's being thrown off. That's, uh, that's interesting because we've seen that technology in the service bay. Actually, an automotive technician uh-huh. uh, can decipher a flow issue in, in the radiator as well as, for that matter, in uh, AC systems by using uh, a thermal gun and actually looking at heat signatures. I would have never thought, and it's ingenious. I mean, if you pull up to a scene, there's all the smoke, not only to save lives, but actually get right to the source of, of fire. Yep. Didn't realize that. Wow. Not uncommon for, like, if a... Uh, if there's a, you know, if there's a fire burning in a large, you know, warehouse, for the companies to pull up and, you know, get a, a ladder up in the air quickly and and from that vantage point look at, you know, from the roof and see, you know, where the hot signature is on the roof as well as in the walls themselves, and you know sometimes sometimes these things are uh, are as you know they're they're massive so if you can if you can isolate that fire. Uh, to a you know even a corner uh, or a, a a section within the building, and then that determine wh- how, where your initial line placement is going to be. That's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, where to put your assets? Uh, uh, Chuck, hold on just a brief moment. I want to bring Mark in. I want to talk about Greg. We got to talk about the restoration Absolutely. of some of this gear. Uh, Mark, I imagine that the restoration process there has to be uh, only a few given talents that truly can understand the restoration process of some of these old LaSalle's and, and, and the gear. Give us some insight of a recent restoration and, well, and what's it take? Well, restoration is a little trickier for us. For many, many years, since the 80s, we were lucky to have a man named Don Hale as our restorer, and he's really one of the most important people in the history of the, of the museum. Uh, he was a guy who had... Uh, apprenticed in the he died he just died a few years ago at the age of 94 he'd only retired about a year before that and you can find his signature on a lot of these pieces because he did at least some restoration work on probably at least probably 90 percent of the pieces that you see when you come in the museum the vehicles especially and he could do it all body work and gold leafing and um, he could do mechanics it wasn't his favorite thing to do but he could do it and he brought many of these pieces back from nearly total disrepair to functionality and beauty. Uh, and he, uh, he's a little, you know, they say nobody's irreplaceable. He's close because he had actually apprenticed uh, under his grandfather in, back in the 1930s when he was a kid 
uh, in a shop that made period vehicles for the movies, initially for MGM and later for a bunch of the other studios. And they would make all kinds of, you know, carriages and everything. And so when he apprenticed, he apprenticed under guys like wheelwrights and spoke makers and stuff. And it was skills that were already becoming archaic even in the 1930s. And so he, uh, after he passed on, we, we kind of, really slowed down on doing major restoration work. Now, we were lucky, though, to get recently something that was a gap in our um, collection, which was an international harvester fire truck from a town south of Chicago called Limestone, Illinois. And uh, Chuck uh, actually was the one who kind of helped to facilitate this deal. And it was something that was uh, an excellent job of restoration of this uh, IH with a front-mounted Barton pump. And it had belonged to that department for years, and then it had ended up at a department in a small town in Indiana, and it had kind of fallen into disrepair. And they were going to junk it, and the guy whose grandfather had been the chief and who was in charge, uh, who had, had initially purchased this vehicle, um, Chuck could tell you the, the date. It slips my mind at the moment. But they got this kind of junked thing back, and he and his son restored it on their own and they did a fantastic job it's beautiful looks like it just rolled off the assembly line and they used it for a few years in parades back there in, in illinois and as a matter of fact uh... this guy's father who had been for many years at this uh... at this fire department they when he passed on they carried him in in it in the procession and everything and it was in parades and stuff like that but after a few years they started thinking you know we need a long-term home for this thing and they offered it to us and chuck accepted it and it arrived just in time for halloween for a little fun uh... socially distant halloween event that we did uh... last last october and uh... we've had it ever since and and it's so that's been a, a that's a, we didn't do it we can't take credit for it, but that is a beautiful restoration job. Um, the more recent stuff that we've done has been just a little more light projects. If it's repainting or relettering or something like that, we do have a mechanic and we have some guys that are very good at that. And so we have done some uh, restoration, but the big, you know, bring it back from junk to looking like it just came out of the factory, we've had to unfortunately slow down on that since Don uh, went to the big restoration shop in the sky. Yeah, yeah, that's a talent, and and I got to tell you, I I uh, will share you my personal story back at Lugrup Chevrolet as a young ranch back in the late eighties, early nineties. Right. Uh, it seemed like everybody. I mean, they all had their plaques above their service bay. You know, John Johnson since 1962. You know, and I'm like, sure. wow, this is like heaven here for a younger technician. And boy, oh boy, when you lose, when you lose somebody that is just seen and, and been a part of that, it, it's tough to replace. It, it really is. And in Don's case, he was, you know, he was this wealth of knowledge. He just, he had the whole, and he had also been an assistant chief at the San Luis Obispo, California Fire Department, and he was in charge of purchasing and customizing their rigs. So not only did he have this extraordinary, and in some cases even kind of archaic, restoration skills, but he also had fire department experience and he'd just done a little bit of everything so like i said he he was really one of a kind and he just fit like a glove the difficulty was that he was a pretty cantankerous guy and he you know he, he was he was really a pussycat at heart but he had a hard time passing on this knowledge to anybody uh you know he, he a couple guys tried to train with him and he just didn't have the patience for it and it's really a shame because that's a huge wealth of knowledge that you that kind of went uh, to the beyond with him, you know. Yeah, I, no doubt. I know a lot of those old restoration guys. They keep all their 
stuff to the vest. They hate right. sharing it. I understand that. Speaking but, of, um, you know, restoration and stuff, I, I know you uh, do an amazing job with the East Valley Institute of Technology's Fire Scientist Program. You know, if a youngster was interested, maybe he wanted to, he or she wanted to volunteer. Absolutely. Talk to us about some of the, well, A, how does one become a member? Like, I want to see the museum. I know I can't do it in a day or even two. Right. How do I become a member? And then tell me about some of the volunteer opportunities. Well, that's a great point. Membership is, you know, just as easy as opening your wallet. Uh, an associate membership, thirty-five bucks, forty, forty bucks, forty-five. It might have just gone up, but not much. Uh, anyway, that is uh, for a year. You can bring yourself, your immediate family, you know, up to four people with you uh, for free for a period of a year, and you get our newsletter and stuff like that. And then there are levels up from that. Uh, you can uh, start. There's what we call our helmet levels. Those start at sixty-five bucks. And right now, because of the Suns, go Suns! Yeah. <laughs> uh, because of the Suns run, we're also giving away a free basketball signed by firefighters. Who needs Chris Paul when you can have a basketball signed by firefighters, right? That's our <laughs> feeling. Anyway, we're uh, giving those away with helmet level and up memberships, 65 bucks and up. Um, and that's a great way to support the museum. It's also a great way to enjoy the museum, because like you said, you cannot truly, truly cannot begin to see all this museum has in one visit or even a couple of visits. I mean, I've been here uh, coming up on 16 years, and I haven't seen it all yet. So, Mark, how many galleries are there total? There's four big galleries, and then there's a bunch of little small side galleries. We have a, uh, a gallery of 19th century and earlier. That's Gallery 1, my favorite. Gallery 2 has trucks from the first half of the uh, 20th Century Gallery 3 has Rescue 4 and several other rigs from the second half of the 20th century. And then uh, Gallery 4 is kind of everything else in terms of the vehicles, including really big vehicles, stuff that kind of wouldn't fit anywhere else. But we also have a Wildland Gallery with some wonderful brush trucks, one of my favorites, donated to us by Gene Autry. We have a kids' area. That's a hands-on part of the museum where kids can play and stuff. And we have our, uh, we have, we have our Hall of Heroes, which is devoted to uh, the 9-11 firefighters, the Granite Mountain Hotshots, and many other firefighters going back years and years and years. Uh, it's, that's a memorial hall. And we have a, a video theater, which also has, again, one of my favorite things, a display of helmets from all over the world. That's awesome. Uh, Halloflame.org, please. Uh, if you're tuning in, of course, not while you're driving, get on to Instagram. I'd like to bring um, Chuck back in. Chuck, tell us where we can find uh, you guys on social media. We'd like to maybe get, get, get some of our family here, our audience, to follow you. Where can they find you? Well, the, the easiest, most direct way, because uh, one funny little side effect that happens here is people will come in and they're so just absolutely taken back by everything they see in a day, and they'll they'll start a whole new Hall of Fame webpage based on that. So to, to, to direct you towards our webpage, the official webpage of the museum, you uh, basically go to our website, org, and then at the top of the page has the connections to all of our social media so then you have the proper facebook account you have the proper instagram and and so on yeah make sure and do that uh because yeah it sounds like well that's what happens when you're really good then others want to be copy you yeah exactly but I, I am looking at the uh instagram uh page hall of flame museum um you guys are awesome about you know setting up some updates and then certainly 
if you are out there, you guys know how it works listening, okay? Hashtag, you know, Hall of Flame Museum so we can help them get the word yeah, out. Get the community involved. Let get them, them involved. And, and really, a lot of my uh, teachers, what a great what a great day. You know, you're talking fire sciences, chemistry, history. There's so much to cover. And um, before we let you gentlemen go, I'll, I'll let you, Chuck, if you can. I think it's extremely important. This scenario, I am going to the high country. What am I doing wrong that can cause a fire immediately? Give me some tips. I will definitely do that. And let me tell you, um, just because you mentioned it a second ago, I want to tell you about STEM. We are... We are STEM, every bit of it, science, technology, engineering, math. So we, we fulfill all those needs in this single museum, but we also fulfill art, as Mark talked about. Many of the pieces that we have display art because, think about it, if you were a proud firefighter in the 1700s and you had this piece setting in your, your hall and a thankful recipient of your services came back to pay their gratitude, sometimes they gave you something beautiful to mount on your truck or maybe even commissioned a piece of art for the side of the truck. So it's not uncommon to see that. And uh, so anyway, teachers just go just go do backflips over our STEM connectability. Also, people that are schooling from home, the uh, homeschooling network. We have a website that's in 10 months has had 203,000 visitors. You'll see a counter when you go to our website as you scroll down the page. Nice. Well, hopefully we can get you more visitors. <laughs> you that, know. Would, that would be fantastic. So give us some tips. we got to wrap it up here shortly. Yes. What tips would you say? Narrow it down. Tell me how I can stay safe if I'm going up north I'm in the high country. Right down for you. I would say no more than ever that uh, you need to, to think about whether you're driving or you're texting, but you can't do both, right? So, you know, okay. um, car accidents, of course, cause a tremendous amount of fires, plus... They tie up firefighters taking care of accidents that may need to that may delay them to get to a fire. So let's let's just lay the phone down and focus on our on what we're doing. Let's um, make sure that you're not dragging chains, of course, as we talked about. Let's make sure that you're not spilling um, fluids or debris on the road that's causing mishap for traffic behind you. That's uh, you know secure your loads. I mean, many people die in Arizona each year from unsecured loads on the road. Of course, uh, you know we're a state that's. Uh, you know, like people like to get out and celebrate Fourth of July. I would say that uh, just know that that anything that produces a flash or flame is going to be something that uh, that you own the responsibility for. So uh, I'm not I'm not telling you what to do in that, but you got to be a responsible adult. And if you're not the adult present, uh, go find one because the, you know kids need to be supervised with this stuff. You don't just turn your kids absolutely all great tips. We need to look out for each other. That's the key. Sixty one oh one East Van Buren Street, Hall of Flame dot org. A great time for all. An honor to have Mr. Mark Moorhead, curator, and Chuck Montgomery of the Hall of Flame Museum. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining Wrench Nation. Thank you, guys. Thank really you. Enjoyed talking. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We'll definitely get out there. Uh, in fact, what I'd like to do sometime in the fall, Greg, is bring out some cameras and, and um, you know, preview some of this. Yeah. And we can and go through all the galleries and try to get maybe the community to connect a little bit. Or, yeah, the, so make whole. sure you guys, uh, uh, information at the org. 
great show with you guys. I want you uh, to stay tuned for future shows. We're, we're probably going to have some replay shows in July. My wife is going to kick me out of my house if I don't take vacation. Can't have that happen. And the kids are off. But again, WrenchNation.tv, always an honor. Greg Ovist, Susie Sockets, and myself, always a, a genuine time to spend with you. As I tell you every week, be safe. Hug each other and never forget to hug a mechanic. I studied evil, I can't deny it. Was a hoodoo charm called it love me or die. Some fingernail, a piece of her dress, a pocket there, it never really is.